Find your place in your Bible, if you haven't already, at Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. We are in a series of messages that began last week simply entitled, Simply Jesus. Our world is so chaotic. There's so much conflict and controversy that's going on everywhere. As a matter of fact, I've just turned off the news. I've decided not to watch the news. I'd rather have the peace uh, than I had to have all the disturbance. You know, one of the things they taught us when I was coming along as a boy, especially in sports, was when you're in a slump, what do you do? You go back to the basics. You go back to the basics. And, you know, when you're in a slump nationally, when there's all of these things that are going on, coupled with a pandemic, uh, what do you do? You go back to the basics, and there is nothing more foundational, nothing more fundamental to the Christian life than simply Jesus. You just come back to Jesus, and you get your focus on Jesus. And that's what we're doing over the course of these coming messages, and I hope you'll join us each week uh, as we do so. We're reading now from the words of Jesus that were spoken at the, or in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, one of the most famous sermons that Jesus delivered. And just these two verses, we're coming back to them again today, verse 13 and 14 of chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Those two verses are so very profound that they deserve our uh, careful attention to make sure we understand exactly what Jesus is saying. There was a famous theologian that was talking to his five-year-old son one evening, and he was going to ask him two very important questions. The very first question he asked this five-year-old was, are you sure when you die, you will go to heaven? And that little boy, that little five-year-old said, yes, daddy. Yes, daddy, I am. Well, this theologian followed it up with a second question. He asked, if you were to die tonight, son, and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And the little boy, without even a hesitation for a moment, immediately said, because I'm dead. <laughs> Don't you love the simplicity of children? Because I'm dead. And we are thankful, aren't we, that the grace of God covers little children that are under the age of accountability, that don't yet understand the gospel story and don't fully understand the call of salvation. But the problem is that most teens and adults think like that five-year-old boy. They don't think, or at least they don't know maybe, that every person individually has to believe on Christ for himself or herself to be made right with God and to become his child. They don't believe, or else they don't know, that they have to go through the narrow gate for themselves to have eternal life with God and to reach heaven's shore one day. They just think that when I die, I go to heaven. And they don't understand that what Jesus is saying here is that we have to make sure that we enter through the narrow gate if we want to have life with God beyond this life. The fact of the matter is there are so many people that are deceived. Maybe they're listening to this message today. Uh, maybe they'll listen to it sometime later than today. But there are so many people that are deceived about where they're going to spend eternity. I remember the first time that Mary and I ever really saw a revival break out. We were still just engaged. We weren't yet married. I was leading the congregational songs for this particular meeting, the congregational songs in the choir. Mary was playing the piano. We knew that our lives together were going to be in the ministry, and so we were serving, and we were in a service, and the preacher came, and he brought the message. It was a powerful message, and at the end of the service, I'll never forget, when he gave the invitation, a lady got up from about halfway back, a little past halfway back here to my right, and she walked down the aisle, and at the end of the service, she was introduced. She had just received Christ as her Savior, but what was so stunning was she was the wife 
of one of the deacons in the church. Over the coming days, we saw this happen again and again. We saw teenagers walk the aisle. We saw other adults that were already members of the congregation. This is a Bible-believing church I'm talking about. Members of the church already who, upon hearing further messages, were touched by the Spirit of God and drawn to salvation and came, and though they had professed faith in Christ, they had never placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, from that, there were unbelievers, people who had never heard of Christ, or who had little knowledge of Christ, who came to Christ. But it was interesting to me that it began with people who had been deceived, people who had just sort of casually gone through the wide gate and had not stopped to think about the significance of making sure they had gone through by faith to enter the narrow gate. I want you to use your imagination with me for a moment. And I want you to think about these two gates, the narrow gate and the wide gate. What do you think would be the inscription if there were one? What do you think would be the inscription if there, if there was one, I should say? The inscription above that gate if, it, if there was one. Most people would say the inscription above that gate would read, To heaven. I mean, if you read the story of what Jesus is saying here, this narrow gate leads to life. And so they would assume that the inscription that's over this narrow gate would be the inscription to heaven. Now let's use our imagination again. If the wide gate had an inscription over it telling you where it led, what do you think the inscription would say over the wide gate? And again, probably most people who've read this story would say, well, it's inscribed to hell. But do you realize that the reality is ascribed or inscribed over that wide gate are the same two words, to heaven, to heaven. It says the same thing that the narrow gate says, and it deceives people, it misleads people into thinking, it doesn't matter how I go to heaven. I can go this way or I can go that way. I can go the wide gate or I can go the narrow gate. It doesn't matter. I'm on the road to heaven. But the reality is that those who go through that wide gate, while the inscription over that gate may read to heaven, the reality is what Jesus says is that wide gate leads to destruction. I think that may be the reason, if verse 15, if you'll notice what it says, chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus follows up this instruction about the narrow gate and the wide gate, and he says, beware of false prophets. Don't you think it's interesting that Jesus followed up that teaching with that kind of a warning? Beware of false prophets. People who come to you and tell you, it doesn't matter how you go to heaven, everybody's ultimately going to go to heaven. You can choose your own way to heaven. You don't have to pass through the narrow gate to get to heaven. Uh, the scripture says those are false prophets, and they're leading people to a Christless hell. Do you understand that there's nothing more important than having your eternal destiny nailed down in absolutely certain Nothing more important. And the fact is that until you're ready to die and meet God, you're not ready to live and face life. The most important decision you make in life is what you do with Jesus Christ and whether you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Your eternal destiny determines your purpose and it gives meaning to your life today, and yet people are deceived. They have casually gone through the wide gate because over the gate is inscribed the words to heaven, but they've been told something by false prophets that simply isn't true. The reality is, if you want to go to heaven, you have to go through the narrow gate, and that narrow gate is Jesus Christ. And Jesus you must believe in Jesus for yourself, that he is the Savior. He is the only way, that in him is eternal life, and you must trust him to save your soul from your sins. One of my favorite theologians is Lewis Sperry Chafer. Uh, Dr. Chafer lived back in uh, the early part up to the middle of the 20th century. 
really the end of the 19th century, into the middle of the 20th century. He's written a number of books. Uh, among his, my favorite are his seven volumes of systematic theology. I've had them for many years in my library, and I appreciate them. But he has a number of books, and one of them is called True Evangelism. And in that book, True Evangelism, he writes about what is saving faith. What is saving faith? And this is what he says. Saving faith must thus be defined as a voluntary turning from all hope and grounds based on self-merit and assuming an attitude of expect expectancy toward God. Now listen to these words. Trusting him to do a perfect saving work based only on the merit of Christ. Based only on the merit of Christ. How many people? went through the wide gate believing that it was Christ plus something. It was Christ plus my baptism. It was Christ plus my good works. It was Christ plus my church membership. It was Christ plus my generosity and my benevolence. It was Christ plus something else, not realizing that it was to be Christ and Christ alone. And the result is they are deceived. Dr. Chafer goes on to say, such an attitude of anticipation toward God alone is reasonable in light of the fact that salvation is a divine creative act and therefore humanly impossible. In other words, you can't add anything to it. I can't add anything to it. If we are to be saved, if we are to have eternal security through Jesus Christ, if we are to be certain that eternal life, we possess eternal life, we have to come to Jesus and turn away from trusting anything and everything else to trust Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no other way to heaven. In other words, Dr. Chafer is telling you to stop trusting yourself Stop trusting your religion. Stop trusting your righteousness, your own righteousness. Stop trusting any other supposed means of being made right with God and trust solely in Christ and his sacrifice alone for your own sins. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that Jesus is the only way, and then it's by faith in Christ alone. If you don't believe that, you're already deceived and you're on the broad way with the many that are headed to destruction. But I got some good news for you. You can change course today. Amen? You can change course today. In the last message, I talked about a sentence that I wanted you to write down. And I'm going to put that sentence on the screens for you to see today so that you can write it down again and for you to make sure that you see it. Because we're considering these two verses under that one sentence that will be there in just a moment. Every person in life goes through a gate leading to a pathway that ends at a final destination. Now, in the first message in this series, I, I looked at the very first part of that sentence. Every person in life goes through a gate. You're either going through the narrow gate because you have entered through Christ, through faith in Christ, or you're drifting through the wide gate. And it may say to heaven over it, but the reality is it's the gate that leads to hell. Everybody's going through one of those gates. But then I want you to notice that when you go through that gate, it leads to a pathway that ends at a final destination. And today we're going to consider the second part of this. Every person in life goes through a gate leading to a pathway. That's the second part of this statement. Notice again what he says here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way. There's the pathway. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and here it is, here's the pathway, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. In other words, in those two verses, Jesus is clearly telling us that there's only two choices. There's only two pathways, there are only two crowds, and there are only two consequences. There aren't multiple. There's no other options. 
You have two choices, the wide gate or the narrow gate. You have two pathways that open up after those gates. You have two crowds that you're traveling with, the many or the few. And you have two consequences, either life or destruction, one or the other. What does it mean when Jesus says that the two gates open up to two pathways? Every person in life goes through a gate leading to a pathway. One of them is described as broad is the way. The other is described as difficult is the way. What does he mean when he talks about these two ways that follow after the gates? Well, the way metaphorically describes the course of life subsequent to passing through the gate. Please hear what I'm about to say. You don't get on a road so that you can go through a gate. That would be works salvation. I'm going to get on a road and I'm going to straighten my life up and I'm going to do the right thing so that I can pass through the gate. You just stopped trusting in Jesus and you started trusting in your own self-effort and your own works. You don't get on the broad way to go through the broad gate, the wide gate. The fact is that you go through one of those two gates and one of those two gates, either of those two gates, opens up onto a pathway, onto a way that you have to travel. In other words, he wants you to understand that if you go through the wide gate, you find yourself walking on a pathway that's easy. If you go through the narrow gate, you find yourself walking on a pathway that is difficult. It's difficult. There are two pathways. It's interesting that he describes one of them as broad, and he describes the other as difficult. You've gone through the gate. Either you've believed in Jesus and you've gone through the narrow gate, and that narrow gate has taken you onto a pathway, or you've gone through the wide gate, and now you find yourself on this broad pathway. One or the other is the reality. It's interesting that when you pass through the broad gate, onto the broad way, the wide gate, onto the broad way, that it's the place, that pathway is the place that's easily traveled. There are no restrictions on that pathway. I sort of think of it as the spiritual Audubon. You know the Audubon where you know, the rules don't apply, you can just live anyway, you can drive as fast as you want to drive. It's sort of the spiritual Audubon, and it's open to all, no matter what your beliefs The moral and the immoral are traveling on this road, and any ideas on the broad way are welcomed. Your truth is as good as my truth, and all truth is equal, they say. The only real absolute is that there are no absolutes, and I know that they're absolutely sure of that, right? This is the way of self-sufficiency, self-importance, self-love, self-motivation, self-interest, self-centeredness, and self-indulgence. Have you noticed? If you go through the wide gate, it's all about self. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my thoughts. It's all about my truth. It's as important as your truth. It's all about the absolute, that there are no absolutes. It's all about me. As a matter of fact, if you're listening, if you're paying any attention to me today, listen to this next sentence. If you go through the wide gate, you don't have to, you don't have to make that decision. You can just drift through the wide gate. If you go through that wide gate onto that broad pathway, onto that broad way, it's the easiest, most culture-conforming and pleasurable course of life to travel. It's easiest. It's the easiest, most culture-conforming and pleasurable course of life to travel. And sadly, most people are on this road. He says what you're met with on that road are how many? What's the word? Many. Many are on that road. If you go through the broad gate, it's the easiest pathway to travel. It asks nothing of you. You can define whatever you want to be whatever you wish it to be. It's the easiest path to travel. But the contrast between these two pathways is remarkable. Between the broad way and the narrow way, between the 
The wide gate that leads to the broad way and the narrow gate that leads to the difficult way. I mean, the distinction between these two is amazing. On the one hand, the the wide gate leads to what's the easy way of life, the culture-conforming, pleasurable course of life to travel. But when you go through the narrow gate by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, it opens up onto a pathway that is described as being difficult. I just lost a whole lot of you because you like the easy Christianity that we've developed in modern American culture. And we think that that's the way it ought to always be. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus says those who go through the narrow gate by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, abandoning any trust of anything else and everything else to trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, find themselves on the other side of that gate on a pathway that's not easy to travel. They find themselves on a pathway that is difficult to travel. The word difficult means to press as with grapes. Think about grapes being squeezed in order to get the juice out of, out of them. Metaphorically, it means to trouble, to afflict, or to distress. Figuratively, it means to oppress with evil. But when you find this particular Greek word that's translated here as difficult, used in the New Testament, it's most often used in reference to persecution. Persecution in the New Testament. In other words, when people go through the narrow gate, they enter onto a pathway that is difficult and hard due to the struggles, the afflictions, the oppression, the sacrifices, and the persecution they experience. And we've been living in a nation where it's been pretty easy. I'm not so sure it's going to continue to be that way. I'm not so sure it's going to continue to be that way. What the text is telling us is that the way of discipleship, when you've passed through that gate trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, you enter onto a pathway of discipleship, of following the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says that that pathway is a pathway of self-denial and persecution and opposition. Why? Because it's not the easy path. It's not the path of self-sufficiency and self-importance and self-love and self-motivation and self-interest and self-centeredness and self-indulgence. It's not the most culture-conforming, pleasurable course of life to travel. It's a difficult path that you sometimes have to traverse because you're on that pathway of following the Lord Jesus Christ and living under his authority. I'm going to tell you something that Some of you won't believe because you want an easy Christianity. I want an easy Christianity. We all want that kind of easy Christianity. But I'm going to tell you something that you need to hear. While we don't pay for anything for the salvation we receive from Christ, while we don't pay anything for the salvation we receive from Christ, he calls us to pay any cost required to follow him. No matter what the price may be. What Jesus is saying here is that once you've entered through the narrow gate, it leads to a difficult pathway where you live under his authority and you find yourself dealing with self-denial, dying to yourself, carrying your cross, sometimes living with opposition and persecution and having the reality of that on a consistent basis in our lives. Just to say it again, Jesus never said that following him would be easy, but he did say it would be rewarding. And it'll be rewarding when we stand before him one day in heaven. And that's when all of that faithfulness and all of that devotion is rewarded by the Lord Jesus Christ. People need to see that Christ is living in us. They need to see that he's living his life through us. Let me just ask you a question. What is it that we say around here in our church? We exist to make disciples that live and love like Jesus. Amen? I didn't originate that. One of our pastoral staff members originated that thought, and we have built around it our discipleship ministry. We exist to make disciples that live and love like Jesus. But you've got to understand something. 
When you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've gone through that narrow gate. And it opens on to a pathway that is difficult because it requires you to deny yourself. It requires you sometimes to endure persecution. And it certainly requires you to, to endure the opposition that will face you in the course of following Jesus. Let me remind you that the New Testament doesn't tell us that we're, we're living on a playground. It says we're living on a battlefield. Let me remind you that the New Testament tells us that we're to get up every day and we're to put on that spiritual armor. That spiritual armor. You don't put on an armor unless you're in a fight. And the reality is we're in a spiritual battle every single day. That is... If you've passed through the narrow gate and you're seeking to follow Jesus Christ with all your heart, when you do that, <clears throat> people begin to see Christ in you and Christ living his life through you. And the inevitable result of that is the pushback that comes because you stand for the traditional values that are found on the pages of Scripture. It's not the culture-pleasing way that you find on the other side of the wide gate. Someone has said there's no greater discredit to Christianity than for someone to claim to know Christ and yet not live like a Christian. Amen? There is no greater discredit to Christianity than when we claim to know Christ and yet we don't live like a Christian. I would go so far as to say that to go through the narrow gate and to not follow Christ on this difficult pathway is really little more than scandalous. It's scandalous that we would receive the salvation of Jesus Christ, but then we wouldn't faithfully follow him no matter what price we had to pay. As a result, people need to see Jesus in us. They need to see that we're living and we're loving like Jesus. They need to know that we are followers of Jesus. And we don't compromise what we believe. And we don't compromise what the Scripture teaches just because it's convenient in the culture that's around us. There was a father and son that arrived in a small western town looking for an uncle that they'd never seen. Suddenly the father pointing across the square to a man that was walking away from them, exclaimed, there goes my uncle. Well, the son was absolutely taken back. He was surprised and he asked, how do you know that when you've never seen him before? And the father responded, son, I know him because he walks exactly like my father. Have you ever seen somebody coming at you and you couldn't tell who it was, but you knew who it was because of the, the gait of their walk, because of the manner that they carried themselves, the way in which they carried themselves? They re you could recognize them from a distance, though you couldn't make out necessarily their physical features, their facial features. You could, you could recognize them because they walked exactly like you remember them walking. When we walk like the Father, people recognize it and people know it. And you understand that when people see the way that we live and the desire of our hearts to follow Jesus with all of our being, we've received his salvation. We've gone through the narrow gate that leads to this pathway that is a difficult way. But nothing more than in our hearts is the desire that we want to live out of a grateful and thankful heart for all that Jesus has done for us and we follow him no matter the cost you have to pay. No matter the cost you have to pay. This kind of life requires intentionality and it requires renewal every single day. You have to get up, determine today, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to let others see Christ in me. I'm going to live in love like Jesus today, intentionality. And it requires renewal every day. You get up and say, Lord, it's tough some days. It's hard some days. But Lord, I'm believing you and trusting you to help me. And the motivation for this kind of a life, are you all with me? The motivation for this kind of a life where you've gone through the narrow gate by believing on Jesus that opened on to a very difficult way to have to traverse. 
where your reward doesn't come until you get to the end of the journey and you see Jesus face to face? Do you understand that the motivation for following Jesus in those kinds of circumstances is an ever-growing love and gratefulness for what Jesus has done for you and how Jesus has saved you? I heard about a man that lived near a college campus where he could observe the students coming and going. And he said he noticed a new student roaming around the campus, hanging out with the rest of the crowd. Strangely, though, he said, after a few weeks, he went missing from his normal routines. He wondered about the young man. Did he get sick and have to leave school? Was he dismissed because of, the, of a discipline problem? Did he get homesick and have to go back to his family? He said, finally, one night, quite by accident, he happened to see this young man off in the distance, walking down Lover's Lane, looking into the eyes of a beautiful young woman and breathing out, and I love his words. I wish I could be this poetic. Breathing out the tender tale that scents the evening breeze. The tender tale that S-C-E-N-T-S, that scents the evening breeze. You remember when you first fell in love? You say, no, I wish I could fall in love. <laughs> yeah, well, you will. Just give yourself time if you don't love yourself too much. Remember when you first fell in love? Do you remember how narrow your focus became after you met that man or that woman? The only person you could think about, the only person you wanted to be with, the only time you wanted to spend is with that other person. It wasn't that the other groups put you out pushed you out of their company. It was just that you found a greater delight that you wanted to be with that person no matter what the cost was, no matter how, how great the price was. You know, you'd go through hell and high water in order to be with that person, in order to spend time with that person. And can I tell you, that should be the story of every one of us who knows Jesus Christ is our Savior. We put our faith in him, and we went through the narrow gate. Maybe we thought on the other side of the narrow gate was going to be this wonderfully easy way of travel, but instead what we have discovered is it's a very narrow path and a very difficult path to traverse, and there's a lot of opposition, and there's a lot of self-denial. There's a lot of dying to yourself, but you keep passing down that pathway. You keep walking down that pathway because you know with a grateful heart what it is that Christ has done for you. And you're filled with a sense of love. Your first love is Jesus Christ. And you'll pay any price, any price, in order to live for him, in order to honor him, in order for him to be glorified through the course of your life. Love is what motivates us to press forward on this difficult pathway that's fraught with persecution and difficulty and self-denial. Your heart is overwhelmed with gratefulness and love for the one who has given you life and life more abundant. And you can't think of anything but pressing through your trials and paying whatever the cost is until you get home to be with him in his presence in the glory that he's prepared called heaven. So don't miss the point here. Traveling this difficult road means you have to surrender everything to him, deny yourself daily, endure the attacks against you, always pressing forward until you reach your heavenly home. Are y'all with me? You say, preacher, I wanted prosperity theology this morning. Prosperity theology is not God's theology. God calls us to go through that narrow gate by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you open onto a narrow way that he says is difficult, like pressing grapes 
where there's self-denial and there's opposition and there's persecution, but living under his lordship, you keep pressing forward every single day, renewing your devotion to him because you love him more than anyone else and you're grateful to him more than anyone else. And you keep pressing forward knowing that at the end of this journey, you'll be in heaven and in heaven, God will reward you. Not for being saved. That was a gift of grace from God. He'll reward you for your faithfulness to follow him in a world that's vastly on the broad way, the wide way, that's culture-pleasing, that's culture-accommodating, that says, let's just do our own thing in our own way. And ultimately, you know, over the gate when we entered it, it said to heaven, but it was a false gate that actually leads people to hell. I tell you, I watched denominations, entire denominations, over the course of my 43 years of ministry that have abandoned the truth of Scripture. And they have abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ in the, in the process. You know, I got to thinking about this, and I got to thinking about what the book of Acts has to say about the persecution that early believers had to endure. I found 15 incidences. These are the major incidences. In Acts chapter 4, they were threatened. In Acts chapter 5, there were beatings. In Acts chapter 7, there was the killing of an individual. In Acts chapter 8, there was widespread persecution and arrests. In Acts chapter 9, there was a plot to kill Paul. In Acts chapter 12, James was killed and Peter is arrested. In Acts chapter 13, Paul was reviled and a mob was incited to violence. In Acts chapter 14, there was a plot to harm Paul and Barnabas and Paul was taken outside the city and stoned and left for dead. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was imprisoned and beaten. In Acts chapter 17, there was a mob riot against the gospel, and there was opposition incited by Jews from Thessalonica. In Acts chapter 18, there were uh, persecutors that became abusive. In Acts chapter 19, there was more mob action. And in Acts chapters 21 to 23, Paul is attacked by the Jews and arrested, and he's ultimately taken under Roman arrest. And that's the major persecution that you read about. You say, wow, the early church really had to endure. Yeah, they had to wear a mask to church. It was too hard to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, preacher, I I want an easy religion. Then you want the Broadway. You want the wide gate. But you need to understand that pathway ends in where? Hell. It ends in hell. The narrow gate, who is Jesus? When you put your faith in him, you go through a narrow gate, Jesus, onto a pathway that he says is a difficult pathway. We're not calling people to an easy way of life. When we call people to follow Jesus, we're calling people to sacrifice We're calling people to self-denial. We're calling people to suffer. We're calling people to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. I will follow Jesus. I want you to look with me for a moment at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And listen to what is said here about living out the faith of our Savior. Talking about Paul, listen to what it says, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, to continue in the faith, and saying, now listen, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must. Through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to lose your job for standing for traditional marriage? 
in refusing to compromise the definition of one man and one woman? Are you willing on this difficult path to say the killing of the innocent unborn is murder? Are you willing to say that we will stand for what is true and what is right, no matter the cost and no matter the price? We love to know that we're going to heaven through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but that ushered you onto a pathway that is difficult. And Jesus intends for his children to follow him. Jesus intends for his children to be obedient to him. Did you know that there's 260 million Christians that experience significant persecution? This is 19, this is 2019, 2020. There are 260 million Christians that experience significant persecution in the 50 countries. That's the 50 out of what? 190 something? In the 50 countries that are on the persecution watch list, 260 million Christians. That's a 6% increase from the previous year. Did you know that 3,711 Christians were detained without trial and 9,488 churches and Christian or Christian buildings were attacked? Did you know that every day at least 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith? That's 4,745. And may I just stop here for a moment? That's the ones that are documented. That's not all of them. That's the ones that are documented. And every day, 12 Christians, every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. That's 6,205 per year. And if you thought the virus made life easier for these people because now they're not out in public, listen to what it says. Most converts from majority faiths said confinement due to a COVID-19 quarantine locked them in with those most antagonistic to their faith in Jesus. This especially affected minority women and children. For millions of Christians, the article says, work, education, and other outside interests provided a brief time of calm from regular persecutions. So when the lockdown occurred, it meant their respite was no longer available. But of course, we have to park across the road and walk across the road. And we have to go in one door and out another. And it sort of bothers us that we have to do that. Let me just say it again. Entering the narrow gate by faith in Christ inevitably leads to a pathway of self-denial, persecution, and opposition. And if you're the kind of a person that can't survive, if people don't like you, you'll be in big trouble when it comes to following the Lord Jesus Christ. Just hours in 2 Timothy before Paul was going to suffer martyrdom. Can you imagine? Just hours before Paul was going to suffer martyrdom. This is what he said, chapter 3, verse 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It may be your job. It may be an advancement. It may be something in your neighborhood. It may be something with your company. It may be some re-education program. It may be any number of things. But if you go through the narrow gate by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only way through it. That's the only way through it. It opens onto a pathway that the Bible says is a difficult pathway. It's not the easy way. The easy way is through the wide gate onto the broad way. But let's remember, though the sign above the gate says to heaven, we know the truth. The end of that journey is where? It's hell. We go through the narrow gate that leads to this difficult pathway, and we have to endure and go through self-sacrifice and suffering sometimes and opposition. We have to put on the armor of God. We have to prepare ourselves to face whatever may come our way, but we do so because we love Jesus and we're grateful for all that Jesus has done for us, and we'll pay any price. After all, he paid the ultimate price. 
We'll pay any price to stay faithful and to be obedient to him. We'll pay any price. He deserves our discipleship, our heart of desire to learn and grow in him and in his grace and in his mercy. And by the way, isn't it great that when you go through those kinds of experiences, the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God always meets his children to help them on that way. I've got to show you one more thing. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. Luke chapter 9. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about discipleship, and then I'm going to finish. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him enjoy himself, lay down his cross, and follow me whenever he likes. Is that what he says? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Look at verse 57. Luke 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my dead. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my household. But Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Will you turn over to chapter 14? Just a few pages over in your Bible, verse 25. Listen to the requirements of discipleship. You put your faith in Jesus. You've gone through the narrow gate. On the other side of that gate is a narrow path, a difficult path, the pathway of discipleship where you're seeking to live in love like Jesus. But the world doesn't like that. There's opposition to that. Listen to what he says, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. In other words, these are people who stop and count the cost. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its favor, that's American Christianity. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you get it? Or how about Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Do you realize that being a disciple means being a witness for Jesus? Being a disciple means coming out of the shadows and being baptized and professing your faith in Jesus and publicly declaring your allegiance to Christ. It involves learning the truths of Christ so that you can live for Christ. It involves, it involves sharing your faith faithfully and devotedly. Following Jesus is going to cost us more and more as the world becomes anti-Christian. There was a young couple that went to see a passion play 
performed by some Christian actors. They were so moved by the drama that they decided to stay over and watch the rehearsal the next day. And during a break in the rehearsal, this young wife got a brilliant idea. She thought it would look good to get her husband's picture taken with the cross that was used in the drama. So the young man quietly made his way onto the stage, and he asked the actor if he could pick up the cross for the picture. And he agreed, and the young man took his place under the cross, and as he attempted to raise it, he couldn't get it off the ground. People were watching him struggle with the cross, and he became embarrassed and yelled over to the actor and said, Why on earth did you make this thing out of such heavy wood? Why didn't you make it out of aluminum or some light material? Nobody in the audience would have ever known the difference. The actor from across the stage responded, Sir, do you think I could play the part of Christ and not feel the weight of his cross? Let me ask you a question. Do you feel the weight of Christ's cross? Do you? If not, it's likely that you've been living in a way that others can't see Christ in you. If there's no self-denial, there's no sacrifice, there's no opposition, there's no persecution, there's no difficulty on this pathway that you're traveling, are you with me? Lean in here. Are you with me? If there's no self-denial, there's no sacrifice, there's no opposition, there's no persecution, and there's no difficulty on the pathway you're traveling, lean in, then you are either on the wrong road or you're failing to follow Christ faithfully. You're either on the wrong road and have been deceived or you're failing Christ by not following him faithfully. Remember the statement? Every person in life goes through a gate leading to a pathway that ends at a final destination. There's only two possibilities for all of us, the wide gate or the narrow one, the easy path or the difficult one, the many or the few. And the destination at the end of your life is either heaven or it's hell. There are no other options. 